welcome back to another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast. My name is Diane Strand, and I am your host and storyteller. This week, I have a story from Iran. It's about what can happen when you try to be something that you're not. And it's a good lesson on how to think on your feet. Now, like every episode, I have a few things I want to talk about before we get into the story. So, the first thing is a public bath. A public bath will make an appearance at the beginning of our story, and you may think, who wants to take a bath in public? But you can think of a public bath kind of like a spa that might have rooms with pools of hot water. Public baths were and are found in many parts of the world and have been used for all sorts of reasons. People might go to one for a little self-care, to soothe and repair their bodies, or to clean and purify themselves before a religious ceremony. Or, as it's used in this story, it's a place to be seen and to see your friends and socialize, and maybe even share some gossip. The next thing I want to talk about is the practice of divining. Our clever and quick-thinking hero, Ahmed, becomes a diviner, or what you might call a fortune teller. Though a diviner might be asked to answer all kinds of questions and not just about what might happen in the future. As a side note, the word diviner comes from the word divination, which means to be inspired by God. A diviner can use all sorts of items or mediums to connect with the universe or other spirits like tea leaves or tarot cards or a magic eight ball. But Ahmed uses a set of dice. So I was curious about what kind of dice Ahmed might have used because I don't really know anything about divining with dice. And my best guess after a little research is that he probably used a set of eight dice along with a little book that helps him interpret what symbols or numbers come up when he rolls them. A cool fact is that some of the oldest dice ever found were dated to be nearly 5,000 years old and were found in southern Iran. I also wanted to talk about traditional and religious dress because we will run into a woman who unintentionally shows a little more skin than she might have wanted, especially for being a noble woman. The traditional dress for Persian women in Iran is called a chador, and it is a long cloak with a shawl that covers a woman's head. In Islamic teachings, women and men are to dress modestly and cover their bodies. This style of dress was originally used by the ruling class, but over decades, women have been ordered by law to either wear it or never wear it, depending on who was ruling the country at the time. And the last thing that I'll mention are flat roofs. So Ahmed will have some visitors hide out on his roof later in the story. Traditional adobe houses in many parts of the world, including Iran, have flat roofs so that in the hottest parts of the summer, families can sleep outside on the roof of their house. I don't have air conditioning in my apartment, and I would love to be able to camp out on the rooftop patio of my building during the summer. But I don't think the owner of my building would like that very much. Okay, that's it. On with the story. Forty Fortunes Once, in the royal city of Isfahan, there lived a young man named Ahmed who had a wife named Jamel. 
He knew no special craft or trade, but he had a shovel and a pick. And, as he often told his wife, if you can dig a hole, you can always earn enough to stay alive. That was enough for Ahmed, but it was not enough for Jamel. One day, as she often did, Jamel went to the public bath to wash herself in a hot pool and chat with the other women. Oh, you can't come in now, said a woman standing at the entrance. The wife of the royal diviner has taken the whole place for herself. Who does she think she is? protested Jamel. What, just because her husband tells fortunes? But all she could do was return home, fuming all the way. That evening, when Ahmed handed her his wages for the day, she said, Look at these few measly coins. I won't put up with this any longer. Tomorrow, you'll sit at the marketplace and be a diviner. Jamel, are you insane? said Ahmed. What do I know about fortune telling? You don't have to know a thing, said Jamel. When anyone brings you a question, you just throw down the dice and mumble something that sounds wise. It's either that, or I go home to the house of my father. So, the next day, Ahmed sold his shovel and his pick and bought the dice and the board and the robe of a fortune teller. Then he sat in the marketplace near the public bath. Hardly had he gotten settled when there ran up to him the wife of one of the king's ministers. Oh, diviner, you must help me. I wore my most precious ring to the bath today, and now it's missing. Please, tell me where it is. Ahmed gulped and cast the dice. As he desperately searched for something wise to say, he happened to glance up at the lady's cloak. There he spied a small hole and showing through the hole a bit of her naked arm. Of course, this was quite improper for a respectable lady, so Ahmed leaned forward and whispered urgently, Madame, I see a hole. A what? asked the lady, leaning closer. A hole, a hole. The lady brightened. Of course, a hole! She rushed back to the bath and found the hole in the wall where she had hidden her ring for safekeeping and forgotten it. Then she came back out to Ahmed. God be praised, she said. You knew right where it was. And to Ahmed's amazement, she gave him a gold coin. That evening, when Jamel saw the coin and heard the story, she said, You see? There's nothing to it. God was merciful on this day said Ahmed. But I dare not test him on another. Nonsense, said Jamel. If you want to keep your wife, you'll be back in the marketplace tomorrow. Now, it happened on that very night at the palace of the king, the royal treasury was robbed. Forty pairs of hands carried away forty chests of gold and jewels. The thefters reported the next morning to the king. Bring me my royal diviner and all of his assistants, he commanded. But though the fortune tellers cast their dice and mumbled quite wisely, not one could locate the thieves or the treasure. Frauds, cried the king. Throw them all in prison. Now. The king had heard about the fortune teller who found the ring of the minister's wife. 
So he sent two guards to the marketplace to bring Ahmed, who appeared trembling before him. Diviner, said the king, my treasury has been robbed of forty chests. What can you tell me about the thieves? Ahmed thought quickly about forty chests being carried away. Your Majesty, I can tell you there were forty thieves. <gasps> Amazing, said the king. None of my own diviners knew as much. But now you must find the thieves and the treasure. Ahmed felt faint. Uh, I'll do my best, your majesty, but it will take some time. How long? the king demanded. Uh, forty days, your majesty. One day for each thief, said Ahmed, guessing the longest he could get. Hmm, a long time indeed, said the king. Very well, you shall have it. If you succeed, I'll make you rich. If you don't, you'll rot with the others in prison. Back home, Ahmed told Jamel. Jamel, you see the trouble you've caused us? In 40 days, the king will lock me away. Nonsense, said Jamel. Just find the chest like you found the ring. I tell you, Jamel, I found nothing. That was only by the grace of God. But this time, there is no hope. Ahmed took some dried dates and counted out 40 and placed them in a jar. I will eat one of these dates each evening. That will tell me when my 40 days are done. Now, it happened that one of the king's own servants was one of the 40 thieves, and he heard the king speak with Ahmed. That same evening, he hurried to the thieves' meeting place and reported to their chief. There is a diviner who says he will find the treasure and the thieves in 40 days. He's bluffing, said the chief, but we can't afford to take chances. Go to his house and find out what you can. So the servant climbed up to the terrace on the flat roof of Ahmed's house, and he listened down the stairs that led inside. Just then, Ahmed took the first date from the jar and ate it. He told Jamel, That's one. The thief was so shocked, he nearly fell down the stairs. He hurried back to the meeting place and told the chief. This diviner has amazing powers. Without seeing me, he knew I was on the roof. I clearly heard him say, that's one. You must have imagined that, said the chief. Tomorrow night, two of you will go. So the next night, the servant returned to Ahmed's roof with another of the thieves. As they were listening, Ahmed ate a second date and said, That's two. The thieves nearly tumbled over each other as they fled the roof and raced back to the chief. He knew that there were two of us, said the servant. We heard him say, That's two. It can't be, said the chief. So the next night after that, he sent three of the thieves, and the next night, four, and then five, and then six. And so it went until the 40th night when the chief said, This time, I'll go with you myself. So all 40 thieves climbed up to Ahmed's roof to listen. Inside, Ahmed gazed at the last date in the jar, then sadly took it out and ate it. Well, that's 40. The number is complete, he said. Jamel sat beside him and gently took his hand. Ahmed. During these last 40 days, I've been thinking, I was wrong to make you be a diviner. 
You are what you are, and I should not have tried to make you into something else. Can you forgive me? I forgive you, Jamel, but the fault is mine as well. I should not have done what I knew was not wise. But none of this helps us now. Just then came a loud banging. Ahmed said, The king's man already? He went to the door and bolted it, calling, All right, all right, I know why you're here. He swung the door open. To his astonishment, he saw 40 men kneeling before him and touching their heads to the ground again and again. Of course you know, O great diviner, said the chief. Nothing can be hidden from you, but we beg you not to give us away. Bewildered though he was, Ahmed realized that these must be the thieves. He thought fast and said, Very well, I won't turn you in, but you must replace every bit of treasure. At once, at once, cried the chief. And before the night was through, forty pairs of hands carried forty chests of gold and jewels into the king's treasury. Early the next morning, Ahmed appeared before the king. Your majesty, my magic arts can find either the treasure or the thieves, but not both. Which do you choose? The treasure, I suppose, said the king. Though, it's a pity not to get the thieves. The boiling oil is all ready for them. Well, never mind. Tell me where the treasure is, and I'll send my men right away. No need, your majesty. Ahmed waved his arms in the air and called, Pishbosh, wishwash, mishmash, then announced, By my magic, the chests have returned to their place. The king himself went with Ahmed to the treasury and found it so. You are truly the greatest fortune teller of the age, he declared. From this day forth, you shall be my royal diviner. Thank you, your majesty, said Ahmed with a bow. But I'm afraid that's impossible. Finding and restoring your treasure was so difficult. I used up all of my power. I shall never be a diviner again. Oh, what a loss, cried the king. Then I must doubly reward you. Here, take two of these chests for your own. So Ahmed returned home to Jamel, safe, rich, and a good deal wiser. And as any diviner could have foretold, they lived happily ever after. The end. I hope you enjoyed 40 Thieves, and I hope you were as happy as I was that Ahmed was able to not only return all of the king's treasure and be rewarded handsomely for it, but he also made sure that he was never asked to be a diviner again. We have come to the part of the show where I like to learn a little bit more about the country that is featured this week. So, a quick history of Iran is that Iran is an ethnically diverse country that has one of the oldest continuous major civilizations on the planet, and it has had a powerful and influential presence in the Middle East and the rest of the world. There is archaeological evidence of stone tools and cave dwellings dating back 10,000 years and jugs of wine that have been dated at 7,000 years old. There are also really cool ruins of buildings and tombs in the town of Persepolis that are about 6,000 years old. 
A little while later, Alexander the Great came through from Greece and he conquered the Persian Empire that had ruled the area before. And after a handful of other empires gained control over the area, the Islamic Empire became the supreme ruler in around 650 AD. For the next 600 years, the Persian and Islamic cultures blended and advancements in math, science, medicine, literature, and art flourished as part of what is known as the Islamic Golden Age. And then in the late 1200s, the Mongols crashed the party. For the next 700 years, Persia, which is what Iran used to be called, was ruled by a number of dynasties, and there were civil wars and a devastating famine that killed around 2 million people. During World War I, Ottoman, Soviet, and British troops occupied Persia, and the British tried to stick around after the war, but they ended up leaving too. Persia was then ruled by a guy named Reza Shah, who changed the name of the country to Iran, and he tried very hard to westernize the country. He even made it illegal for people to wear traditional clothing. The next hundred years is messy and complex, but here are some highlights. During World War II, British and Soviets occupied the country again. After the Tehran Declaration was signed in 1943, the official borders of Iran were created and all occupying countries slowly removed themselves. In 1953, the United Kingdom convinced the United States and its newly formed CIA to orchestrate a coup and remove the Prime Minister of Iran, thus giving more power to the Iranian monarch or king. Many people believe that this started the rift between Iran and the U.S. and the U.K. that still continues to this day. In 1979, Ruala Khomeini overthrew the monarchy and established the Islamic Republic. This period was the Islamic Revolution. During this time, Western influence was banned, and women and minorities lost many of their rights. This anti-West bias led to the kidnapping of 52 U.S. embassy workers, and they were held hostage for over a year. This was called the Iran hostage crisis. After this, Iraq, led by Saddam Hussein, invaded Iran, which led to a war that lasted 10 years ending in 1989. And throughout all of the chaos, about 3 million Iranians immigrated to other countries in the Middle East, Europe, Canada, and the U.S. There is actually anywhere from 500,000 to 1 million Iranians living in the U.S. right now. So where is Iran on a map? Do you think you could find it? Iran is on the Asian continent and is in the Middle East. Iraq lies to the west. And to the north, there's Azerbaijan, Armenia, the Caspian Sea, and Turkmenistan. And then Afghanistan is to the east. And in the south, there's the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. The capital is Tehran, which has been a really important cultural hub throughout the years. It's known for its architecture and poetry and literature and film industry. The population of Iran is about 83 million people, so that's about a quarter of the U.S. population. The size of the country is a little over 636 million square miles, or just a smidge smaller than Alaska. So like many countries, Iran has a lot of different languages that are spoken within it. 53% of the population speak Farsi which is the Iranian dialect of the Persian language. 18% speak Azerbaijani and other Turkic dialects. 
10% speak Kurdish, 7% speak either or both Galaki and Mazandarani, 6% speak a language called Luri, 2% speak Arabic, another 2% speak Balachi, and then there is 1% that speak a handful of other regional languages or languages from neighboring countries. When it comes to religion in Iran, there is some conflicting data. According to a 2011 government-sponsored census, 99.98% of the population are Muslim. However, an online survey conducted by an independent research group with the acronym of GAMAAN came up with very different numbers. They surveyed 40,000 Iranians over the age of 19 and from varying political and professional backgrounds, and they responded that just 32% followed Shia Islam and 5% Sunni Islam. Another 22% reported that they have no interest in religion. 15% are agnostic or spiritual. 8% are atheists. 7% are Zoroastrians which is one of the oldest religions in the world, predating both Islam and Christianity. And then Sufi mysticism, Baha'i faith, Christianity, and Judaism make up the last 8%. Of course, this is just a sample of 0.0005% of the population, so it is likely not an accurate representation of the country as a whole, but it does cast a little skepticism on the census numbers. What is interesting is that Iran has reserved seats in its parliament for Jewish and Zoroastrian representatives, so clearly religions other than Islam are recognized and supported, at least politically. And lastly, famous people whose heritage comes from Iran. These are all Iranian-Americans. So you may have heard of Samin Nosrat, who wrote the book Salt, Acid, Fat, and Heat, and also has a Netflix show of the same title. If you listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR, then you've probably heard of Nagin Farsad, who is a comedian and is often on that show. And then there's Anoushe and her brother-in-law, Amir Ansari, who funded the Ansari X Prize. If you've never heard of the Ansari X Prize, you should go check it out. It's super cool. It's a series of challenges that are meant to further space exploration research. And then they award massive amounts of money to any non-governmental organization that is able to win those challenges. So, for example, one of their challenges was for a team to launch a reusable crewed spacecraft into space twice within two weeks. And whatever team was able to do that first won $10 million. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have enjoyed this podcast so far, please tell a friend or give me a rating or a review on iTunes. You can also follow me on Facebook or on Instagram at Global Storytime Podcast. I try to routinely post additional content about the country, including book recommendations. If you would like to read more about the country or the people from the country that we featured on each episode. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host and storyteller, Diane Strand. Until next time, bye!